Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you for all of you who have joined the Sonic Cinema Patreon, which is you can find at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. I hope you enjoy some of the extras I've put on there this month, including a uh, little summary on what uh, chapter one of the book is going to be, as well as an audio scene from my uh, days at Georgia State University that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, you can find that if you are interested at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Today's episode uh, is uh, going to be a bit of a different one, but it's one that I think, I hope that people will enjoy. It actually, I, I teased the idea of doing this uh, on a Patreon reward back in February, I believe, where this is my 20th anniversary of being a composer, and one of the things that I did for uh, Patreon listeners is I went back and looked. I had a couple of different variations for the first piece that I had, I had ever composed that I had recorded. And um, it was part of a project for the uh, MIDI course that I was taking at Georgia State at the time. And so what I did was I basically explained sort of what the project was and sort of what all of the differences in the different variations are and played those for you. Uh, today's episode of the podcast is going to be something similar. It's going to be actually something that I've had the idea for for quite a while. Before before we get into the musical side of it, I do have to uh, tell you sort of the genesis of the piece. And the genesis of the piece comes from my favorite movie for a long time. It's still one of my favorite movies of all time is Alex Preuss's The Crow with the late Brandon Lee. Uh, that movie had a profound effect on me when I first saw it in 1994, I remember vividly watching it for the first time. I was actually, uh, it was right before I had band practice during the summer and was at the uh, Discount Theater, which is no longer there anymore, in uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. It was actually the last day I was going to play at that theater. I saw it and it had a profound effect on me. The images that Proyas and his collaborators put on the uh, screen, the performance by Brand Lee, and actually all of the performances in that movie, Ernie Hudson, Michael Winshot, Bang Lee, uh, Bay Lee, it's just Rochelle Davis who plays Sarah in it, just such a beautiful movie, and it was something that just, I'd never experienced a movie like that before, I was still relatively new in watching independent films. And I've never been somebody to, I was never somebody in like goth culture or something like that. But the story, I'd read a lot about the movie before it came out, and I'd actually gotten a soundtrack earlier in the summer uh, based on what I had heard of it. And it was constant rotation that, that summer. It was a soundtrack, the one with The Cure, Stone Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails. Henry Brown's band, Pantera, Rage Against the Machine, and so many others. Uh, that that soundtrack had a real effect on me. And then uh, watching the movie, it just 
increase the effect so that when it came out on video a couple months later, I I was hooked. I watched it constantly, and the first chance I got to purchase the movie I had, I took, and uh, it's it's been one of my favorite movies of all time ever since. It's a movie that I cherish and I look back on, and uh, it's it's something that has had a deep abiding uh, effect on me, not just as an individual, in terms of figuring out my own own emotions as far as what I value in my life and in terms of you know how how to relate to a story like this but also as a as a movie lover and it sort of opened up a n- new uh landscape for me that I'd never really had uh much interest in before that and uh I could go on about The Crow, and uh, I just watched it again on Blu-ray, and it was absolutely beautiful, but what I want to do is focus not so much on the movie, but on the music. I've already mentioned the song soundtrack, which was a bestseller, and is still, for me, my money, one of the best uh, song soundtracks for a movie ever. And uh, watching the movie again, one of the things I absolutely love about it is the way that Preuss uses some of the songs are purely for background. Some of the songs work just as effectively as score for the movie as uh, the orchestral music that Graham Ravel uh, wrote for the film. And it's Ravel's score that uh, has led me to this podcast right here because when I was able to experience that score on cassette, on CD, whatever it was. It it just took my love of film music to another level that reached uh, its peak a year later with James Horner's score for Braveheart. And I could go into a whole different area of how many similarities I feel exist with the Crow and Braveheart, and I've always felt like there's a kinship between those movies that goes beyond just, oh, well, they're stories of revenge. Um, they're elements I feel like have very similar feelings. And the fact of the matter is they're still two of my favorite movies of all time. The reason I bring up Ravel's score is because of the fact that that leads us to the piece I'm going to be talking about and breaking down for you Today, it's my 1999 composition, In a Lonely Place. The inspiration for the title of the track came from, I believe, the introduction, the foreword of the uh, version of the Crow graphic novel that I own. And it's also a name of a song that Bush contributed to the soundtrack to The Crow Save Angels, which will play another big part here, because even though The Crow Save Angels is not a great film or even really a good film. The score Ravel wrote for that movie is just as influential on my piece in a lonely place as the score he wrote for the original the original film. It's it's one of those things where I, when when I was very early on in my composing career, one of the things that I really kind of focused on to a certain extent in some cases was emulating soundtracks that I liked and paying homage to films and soundtracks that I really liked because my first love was film music. That's what I wanted to do. 
I've talked at length over the years about my piece Beyond the Infinite, which became an alternative soundtrack to 2001, which you can hear on CD Baby and other places, as well as a commentary I wrote for 2001 with that music synced to the film that is on Sonic Cinema. (coughs) So in addition to that, in 1999, I also wrote a piece inspired by Revel's uh, music for The Crow and The Crow Save Angel. It was always intended to be electronic. It was always intended to have weird orchestrations and uh, different parts, but I ultimately wanted to capture the spirit of what Revel's score was like. And so I wrote it out and didn't get a chance to really listen to it until I went took into studios and started recording it. It ended up being about three and a half minutes and stuff like that. And I was listening to it. I re- recorded it as I intended with the instrumentations that I had written down that I wanted. And then when I, and before we get into my music though, it's important for you to sort of get a point of a re- reference, I think, with uh, the music that Grammar Bell wrote for the films. And so here are a couple of clips of his music from The Crow and The Crow Save Angels that will hopefully give you an idea as to what that sounds like and why it inspired me. The first clip is from Return to the Grave. It's from the first Crow scorer, and it's basically the theme for The Crow that Ravel wrote. It's it's basically from a point in the film where Eric Draven, the Branley character, has accomplished what he's uh, came back to accomplish and set things right and will now be at peace with uh, Shelley, the fiance that he uh, was killed with. You can you can hear the melodic elements of that. You can hear the sort of evocative electronic elements of that, and that's part of what really intrigued me about it. Uh, the second cue was, the second little clip was from Lament for Lost Son, which was from the Crow Save Angels soundtrack, which is on par, in my opinion, as a score as the score for the first movie. And it has that type of impact. That the cue the little clip from Lament for Lost Son that you just heard is from the beginning of the track where there's an electric guitar playing for a period of time. It basically just goes from there into more of a soundscape before bringing the uh theme back to the film. Uh, one of the things that I love about the uh, Save Angels score is the the movie is set around the Day of the Dead, and when uh, Ravel uh, was writing the score, he brought a lot of that uh, Spanish guitar sensibility into it. You hear it a lot throughout the score, um, so it's not just rehashing what he did in the first one. It has its own personality. It has its own character, which is part of what I really love about really great sequel scores. If you're going just by sequel scores, I feel like Crusade of Angels is one of the best of all time. That's just my personal opinion. If you're going, it's something that personally for myself, I feel 
strongly about. I can completely understand if somebody uh, didn't feel that way, though. So that's the type of music that Ravel wrote that inspired me so much about his scores and inspired me to want to pay homage to his to his uh, work. And so in 1999, after I was still going on the initial creative kick that I was going on as a composer, and I had this idea of doing a piece called In a Lonely Place inspired by uh, Graham Revell's uh, scores for the Crow and the Crow City of Angels. So I got out some manuscript paper. I wrote down the piece. I wrote the piece. I did orchestral. I did. I sort of put what instruments that I wanted to uh, have playing each piece. And I had my own ideas for which ones that I wanted. Some of them were ones that I liked at the time. Some of were ones that I felt like captured the spirit of the original uh, score. And uh, so after I got that done in the uh, studio, um, I started to listen back to it, and it was basically mixed and all that stuff. And here is basically what that original pass for In a Lonely Place was.
if you've ever heard the Crow score or the Crow Save Angels score, uh, you will notice that the piece that you just heard really has no bearing on anything really with um, with regards to those scores. It doesn't sound anything like it. And that was on, and I was like, oh man, I really kind of mucked this up. And so, you know, in, in retrospect, what I probably would do now is I would just pick different instrumentations that might get that closer but ultimately what I did at the time was I basically just broke it down and started again and I would work in the studios and I didn't do quite as much prep work as far as this was one of the first times I really went to a studio and just kind of improvised uh, while working on a piece and improvise in the sense of just feeling my way through uh, parts of a piece of music without necessarily writing it down. Although I did write down some, and then just sort of letting it go from there and just sort of building it back from there. So this next piece that you're going to listen to, I, I've come to title that first uh, attempt at In a Lonely Place, Confusion, Turmoil, and Resolution. It's if you think about it, if you think about the movie The Crow, it makes a little bit of sense, and that's something I kind of had in mind when I was writing, when I was uh, recording and doing these different uh, variations on the piece too. Is when I would come up with these titles, which granted none of these would necessarily be heard by anybody but me. So I mean, it's more for myself than anything. I also want, if I ever did decide to share these with somebody like I'm doing right now, I wanted to have a piece, a, a title to go by, other than just, oh, In a Lonely Place Part 1, because really that's not necessarily true. So the first, that first uh, iteration of what would eventually become In a Lonely Place was called Confusion, Turmoil, and Resolution. When I broke down the piece after starting from scratch essentially uh this next piece is basically just a soundscape and it's something that i think works kind of decently on its own but it's not something i necessarily would feel like eh, i need to make this available but for the purpose of this podcast where i'm basically taking you through the process of my creative process of building this piece i think it's interesting to put all of this in context so you can hear for yourself how this piece eventually became what it did. And so we're going to continue on with the uh, second uh, step in this evolution of the piece. Uh, it's called The Lonely Journey.
so again, if you've heard the scores that Graham Ravel wrote, uh, you'll that's that's a little bit closer to the mark. It's obviously not quite there, but ultimately, I as much as I wanted to pay homage to it in terms of musically, I didn't want it to be oh well, it could have just easily been this. He's just copying it. And it's like. Yeah, I didn't necessarily want that. I wanted to still have my own personality to it. I think you, you know, like I said, it's a decent soundscape. It's it's clearly more the bed of bedrock of underground of what is going to be underneath any melodic material. And so the next pro- step in the process was bringing in some more of that melodic material and starting to shape the piece into something that had a sense of structure to it and uh, would sort of get started where I would start to work on a beginning, middle, and ending. And so this next version, uh, one step closer to piece, you're going to hear uh, that structure coming to place.
it's a bit longer. It's got it's a bit slower. It's actually longer than the final version of the piece. Um, it you know I I kind of liken this process that I'm describing and letting you get capture of as you know think about it as the editing process in a film where it's like you have a rough cut and then you basically start making decisions that are going to shape the pro shape the finished product and that's what all these different variations are um confusion tor turmoil and resolution from an orchestrational standpoint had missed the mark completely from what the end product of in a lonely place was but you'll hear as i start to uh as i uh, present it here you're you're going to hear that musically speaking there are some common ideas that remained in place and were things that I wanted to do and so that's one of the things that i i like this process and this this the idea for this particular podcast is actually something i came up with several years ago and originally i wanted it to sort of be a documentary short which visually i have no idea how that will have turned out doing it as a podcast makes a lot more sense because obviously it's all audio you, there's nothing visual that you necessarily need to add to it although because of the fact that this is being posted on youtube i'm going to add visuals anyway because that will help with the overall experience, but ultimately it's my words and the music that you're going to be listening to and paying attention. So basically you've heard, you've basically seen the first, heard the first three cuts of the first three uh, edits of what In a Lonely Place ended up being. And this process, I think this process took roughly a month or two from the time that I first started writing it. Um, it, it happened relatively quickly. It didn't take a whole lot of sessions to really get this uh, figured out and in a way that I was really happy with. And so with that being said, we'll close out. And this, if I'm sure some of you probably heard this piece before. It's been online a uh, number of years, um, mainly through the uh, my 2000 album, Dark Experiments, which was release at the same time as Create Beginnings. So you've heard this this uh, piece for about 18 years now. And uh, it's one of my favorite pieces from the earlier ones because of the fact that I do feel like in the end, and I hope if anybody's familiar, more familiar with the Crowth scores beyond the excerpts that I shared earlier, that uh, you'll, you'll see that... Um, I, I came pretty close to the mark as far as what I wanted to do musically and uh, in terms of orchestration as far as capturing the spirit and the idea of what uh, Grammarville was trying to do. So this is the uh, this is the final version of In a Lonely Place. <laughs>
like I said, um, you can hear different ideas from each of the first three uh, attempts at doing the piece in the final version. And it was something that I I think it, it turned out pretty well. It still pr- might be a bit long. I don't know if I would make it that long now. Uh, that was when I... I wasn't quite as focused. I was a little bit more indulgent as a composer at the time. I mean, really, for most part, I was doing a lot. And because of the fact that so much of this piece was built out of improvisation and just uh, not really a structured uh, composi- compositional process, it's you know, it's it's something that yeah, it's going to take a little bit of. Uh, massaging to get down to and so you'll you'll notice that one was about 13 seconds that one was about 13 seconds shorter than the uh third uh sort of practice version if you want to say of in a lonely place and it ended it ended up being pretty close to the mark of what musically i ended up wanting to do i just it was some editing that to make the piece feel a little bit uh stronger in the end um after after uh after i was done with the piece i actually had a weird idea although not not so weird because of the fact that if if you know me you you know that i played trombone for uh the longest time that's how i got into performing music for in the uh first place and up until college i played trombone in middle school and high school and college so that was about 11 years that i played trombone I had this idea of adapting this piece for trombone quartet because I I feel and I admittedly it's a bit selfish because I do kind of feel like trombone quartet is uh I I feel like trombones sort of don't get bad rap as solo musicians or not that they get bad rap I I think they're undervalued as a uh, solo instrument I think if they're written for well, I think they can be kind of beautiful and uh, to listen to and intriguing. And it can be a melodic instrument, can be a background instrument. I think it has value at both places. So trombone. So with that as well as my personal bias, I've written quite a few bit for trombone. I've got a trombone quartet. I will hopefully be uh, a couple of trombone quartets. Actually, I hope I'll be releasing here soon as uh, we continue on with this 20th anniversary of uh, me being a composer. And so the final piece of this evolution for In a Lonely Place was I actually adapted this piece for trombone quartet. And uh, admittedly, if I could go back, I probably, part of the problem, and you'll, you'll hear it pretty clearly, I think, is that there's a big difference between electronic music where you have dissonances and uh the chord dissonances versus classical music and that's one of the things that you'll find when you listen to uh this this version of a lonely place here so the performance that i'm going to share with you on uh for the in a lonely place for trombone quartet orchestration comes from a 2001 performance at the Georgia State University Brass Ensemble that was performed by David Fairchild, Holly Lawing, Sam Griswold, and Cliff Jones. Uh, All of them have been good friends of mine over the years. 
I've known all of them for a long time. I've tried to keep in touch with them for the most part. They did a really good job in this performance. It turned out really well. Uh, you can listen to the uh, words from the composer on uh, Sonic Cinema on the music page. I have those shared. Sort of going over a rough estimate of what I've been talking about here. Ultimately, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, I'll come back with a little bit of an, a uh, conclusion, but this is In a Lonely Place for Trombone Quartet. Composed by myself, orchestrated, uh, reorchestrated from In a Lonely Place, my electronic composition, performed by David Fairchild, Holly Lawing, um, Sam Griswold, and Cliff Jones.
So that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. I could go on about music. I could go on about The Crow. I could go on about the franchise of The Crow that ended up being very diminishing returns after the original Alex Proyas film. Uh, but I'm not going to because ultimately this was about my music. And this was this was about this particular piece of music. I hope you enjoy what I had in store for you. I think it's an interesting little idea and a glimpse of what some of what the composing process can be. And uh, it's it's an idea that I've had on my brain for quite a while. And uh, thank you very much for indulging me on this. Uh, again, check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema for more, as well as if you donate the $3 more level, you'll be able to hear the sort of dry run of this episode that I did for patrons about my first composition, Creative Beginnings. And uh, you can continue to follow us on YouTube, follow me on Twitter at Scuttle Lemur. I post about movies and the Cleveland Browns, if any of the either of those interests you. Right now I'm going through Marvel Cinematic Universe marathon in the hopes of getting it done in time to uh for infinity war and uh right now that's 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 about it for me uh coming up i coming up may the 4th i have a very special podcast with the my fellow members of yahoo's with a microphone ronnie haynes and david miles david is joining us for the first time on the podcast as well as bringing back our good friend Daniel Green as we get down to all the conflicting uh, contradictory opinions of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, I've got that and plenty more coming up in the coming months. I've got interviews I'm working on lying up. I've got more discussions on films. I've got some really good ideas coming down the pipeline. I hope you'll continue to listen. For now though, this is Brian Scuttle and uh Thank you very much for listening to the Sonic Cinema Podcast.